Good morning. Welcome to Central Baptist Church remote service today. I'm Barbara Jernigan and I'll be bringing the message. I'm sorry that we can't be in the building today, but we have quite a few people who are sick and are away. And we felt that it was best to have services not in the building today, just to give us a chance to strengthen and uh, heal and Keep the ones that are healthy, healthy. Um, will you join me in prayer? Dear Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your loving spirit. We thank you for your healing. And we thank you for the opportunity to worship you even in our homes when we can't be together. We know that where two or three are gathered in your name, you are present. And so we ask that you would be present with us, even if we're alone. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And Lord, hear us as we pray the prayer Jesus taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. <clears throat> Our scripture reading this morning comes from the book of Ephesians, chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us who also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts, like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in, in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. May God bless the hearing and reading of his holy word. Amen. Normally, I would do a message in the basket, but we're going to skip that today um, just because there's nobody here to respond to my questions. Um, so we'll save that one for another day. Um, I do know that um, part of our service of worship is um, contributing to the church, and that's still an opportunity if you want to do that today. Um, you can send a check to Central Baptist Church, Southbridge. 
post office box 188, I think it is. Um, 886, I'm sorry. 886, Southbridge, Massachusetts, 01550. Or you can donate online at uh, cbcsouthbridge.org. Um, that's our Facebook, our website. Sorry. <laughs> I'm not used to doing this, but that's okay. We got this. All right. Um, our responsive reading today came from Titus chapter 3. So I'm just going to read that straight through for you. Um, remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, and always to be gentle toward everyone. At one time, you too were foolish, disobedient, deceived and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior so that, having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. Will you pray with me now? Lord, we have so many things to be grateful for, so many things that you have given us and blessed us with, Eternal life is probably the most incredible thing that, and it's so hard to understand that all we have to do is say yes. We thank you for that. Lord, we lift up today all those who are sick. Um, put your healing hand on them, um, myself included, and Pastor Jen and Paul, my husband, my son, my grandson, um, and many others in our congregation who are either sick with COVID or other things, um, people awaiting surgeries and testing, just be the physician that you are, the great physician. You can heal all things according to your will. So we lift up all who are sick and suffering to you. We also lift up all who are suffering in other ways, spiritually, financially, emotionally, whatever way it is, you know what it is and we lift them up to you. We also lift up all those who are celebrating today, anniversaries and happy occasions. And we thank you for those, for we know that it's through you that we have these wonderful times to celebrate. So we lift this up today to you, for your love, for your care, for your hope, for your healing. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right. We've all seen them, the popular advertising technique of before and after pictures. They're probably the most common for diet products, and we've all seen them for hair and skin makeovers, as well as household makeovers, just to name a few. The before pictures are almost always the least flattering picture possible, and the after pictures, the exact opposite, the most flattering possible 
angle's just right, the color's right, the light's right, everything's just right. The goal, of course, is to get you to spend your money on the subtle assumption that you can purchase the improvement you see comparing the two pictures. Well, Ephesians 2, uh, chapter 2, 1 to 10, uses a similar tactic, but to a different end. Paul does paint two pictures of us, one before Christ, verses 1 to 3, and one after, verses 4 to 7. He then brings it all together in verses 8 to 10 and tells us what the goal of this comparison is. Ephesians 2, chapter 2, verses 1 to 3 says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. Wow, the before picture is not very flattering. In fact, it's hard to imagine it being much worse. The first word Paul uses is dead. It doesn't get much worse than that. Apart from Christ, in our pre-conversion state, we are spiritually dead. That is the result of sin. Sin kills. Sin destroys. It annihilates. The second part of the picture is described as being in slavery. Though that word doesn't actually appear, it's certainly the sense of how we are described in following the world. The devil and the work of those who are disobedient. In verse 2, our um, slavery is of, to our own cravings. The picture being painted there is of us being subject to their control of the three things and of us being enslaved to them. It is worthy to, worth stopping to notice that Paul includes all three of these in describing our sinful nature. The world, our environment, and our culture work against God to keep us in sin. You name the sin, I can probably give you an example of how society glamorizes it and makes it look appealing, even normative. Lust? Look at any billboard or magazine ad. Greed, it's what your, our economy is built on. Self-centeredness, almost every movie or TV show, self-help book, they all have it as their theme. <coughs> Someone trying to get what they want. I could go on and on, but you get the picture. I love how J.B. Phillips paraphrased Romans 12, 2, the familiar verse that in the New International Version says, do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world. Phillips says, do not let the world squeeze you into its mold. Squeeze you into its mold. The ruler of the kingdom of air, the devil, Satan, the evil one, is no stranger in Paul's writing. Ephesians talks more about the spiritual realm and the forces there than in any other New Testament book. So it's not surprising that Paul mentions it here. We all know that that Flip Wilson's famous line, the devil made me do it? Well, that's no excuse. It doesn't make us any less responsible for our actions. 
but it is based at least in part on something that is true. The devil is active in our world and is working to keep us from God. Verse 3 lists the third thing in which we are enslaved. Our sinful nature, our flesh, our old self, with its desire for evil and self-destructive tendencies. It seems strange to describe ourselves as slaves to our own desires. Our culture defines freedom as basically the ability to do anything we want. Freedom. The ability to do anything we want. How is that slavery? The problem is that in our sinful state, the things we want are ultimately self-destructive. Ask anyone who has ever struggled with an addiction of any kind. We understand what this verse means. True freedom comes when we are no longer subject to fleshly desires that are ultimately self-destructive. We tend to try to pick one, the world, the devil, or the flesh, to blame when we sin. But in fact, all three are operating to keep us in sin and death. All three work together to keep us from God. We need to confront each one in our battle for holiness, remove ourselves from worldly influences that cause us to sin, stand up against the devil, and rely on God to remove our old flesh and replace it with his spirit. Paul sums up the before picture with what may be the most uncomfortable description in the passage. We were by nature objects of wrath. Ouch. I don't like that. Our old self prior to coming to Christ was by nature the object of God's wrath. That is a pretty helpless place to be. Wrath is a strong word. It means God's holy anger against sin and judgment that results. And that is the word Paul uses to describe God's response to our sinful state prior to his coming to Christ. We don't talk about uh, much about the wrath of God. It must be politically incorrect or something. Perhaps it's because we tend to see the wrath of God in opposition to the love of God. And so feeling forced to choose wrath, love, we often opt to focus on the love. But in fact, the two are not opposites. They need each other. God cannot be completely loving if he does not hate the things that rob us of knowing full lives. Similarly, he cannot be wrathful if he didn't care about us, because if he didn't care, he would be ambivalent. Hmm. In his commentary, the letter to the Ephesians, Peter Thomas O'Brien wrote, only the person who understands something of the greatness of his wrath will be mastered by the greatness of his mercy. The converse is also true. Only the person who has experienced the greatness of God's mercy can understand something of how great his wrath must be. We don't really think of unsafe people along these lines of being objects of wrath anymore, do we? We have watered down the truth of the gospel, concluding that people are generally moral 
and God is just. So maybe it won't really be so bad on Judgment Day. I mean, everyone does some things that are wrong. Sure. But they aren't really bad. They aren't bad people. So God will love them and accept them in heaven, right? Wrong. God's word says they are dead, enslaved by the nature, by nature objects of wrath. That doesn't mean without any value, though. If lost people weren't valuable to God, he wouldn't have sent Christ to die for us. No. It is because of how valuable they are that this state of death, slavery, and wrath is so wrong. And understanding the true state of people without Christ needs to motivate us to share the good news with them. The harsh reality is that outside of Christ, people perish eternally. People we care about, we love desperately, need to know exactly what Paul is about to tell us in these next verses. Verses 4 and 5. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. Verse 4 begins with one of the great words of Scripture. But, don't you love how we can be reading along, starting to feel hopeless and helpless and discouraged, overwhelmed by how far we've are from God's standard, and then we come to this little word, but. But all I have said is true, but you are not without hope. But there is more. But God, the next three verses describe the change that comes through Christ. This is the after picture. Concentrating a contrasting and demonstrating the change that takes place through Christ. The focus is once again all on God. Heart change can only come from the working of the Holy Spirit in our lives. One of the images in the Bible uh, to describe this change is the image of rebirth. The old dies and something completely new is born in its place. And this is the magnificent work of God. The first verse in this after section, verses four, verse 4, places the focus squarely where it needs to be, on God. Paul mentions both God's love and God's mercy. Each are emphasized with adjectives. Great love. In fact, the original language places even more emphasis on this love of God than we have. Reading literally, because of the great love with which he loved us. Emphasizing this thought, this great love through repetition. And rich mercy. And because of those two amazing characteristics of God, two things have happened to us. First, We've been made alive. This takes us all the way back to verse 1, where Paul begins to, by describing us as dead. It is only natural and logical, then, that the first thing we have in Christ is life. We were dead, 
now we're alive. That is our testimony. That is our witness. Once we are spiritually dead, but now we are spiritually alive. This incredible truth jumps Paul ahead to verse 8 to the point he is building to about how this entire salvation thing is about the grace of God so that it overflows here as a brief taste of what is to come. It is by grace you have been saved. Secondly, we have been raised with Christ. To understand what Paul is talking about here, we need to glance back at the last part of chapter 1, which Pastor Jed looked at last Sunday, looking specifically at verses 21 and 22, uh, 20 and 21. The focus here is on the power Christ has over everything, because God has raised him up and seated him at his right hand. And then we come to verse 6 in chapter 2. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Wait a minute. Does this verse actually say that? After developing the theme of Christ's exaltation and the power he has as Lord over all, does this verse say now that we also have been exalted? That's exactly what it says. What a lofty view of us, God's children. God has raised us up in Christ, and all of the power that Jesus controls is ours to access also. It is no wonder that Paul began this picture with a focus on the great love and rich mercy of God. Who are we to sit with Christ around his throne? We are his children. We are God's children. We have been raised up because God says we belong there. Because of God, we are heirs. We belong there. We are his children. This is where our citizenship is. This is where our loyalty and life and worship belong, seated in heaven with Christ. Why would God do such a thing? Well, the answer to that is in verse 7. In order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. God did it to show the world what he is like. Let me ask a searching question. When the world looks at you, do they see the incomparable riches of God's grace expressed in his kindness to us through, in Christ Jesus? Do they see life, as verse 5 says? Do they see us focused around Jesus' throne in heaven? God saved us so that the world would know what he is like when people look at you and me. Is that what they see? When we claim to be God's children, what people need to see in us is the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in kindness. My prayer for you and for myself is that they would see God through us, taste something of his goodness and grace, and would be awakened in them a hunger for more. This brings us to the heart of the gospel, 
and what is often seen as the heart of the book of Ephesians, verses 8 and 9. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. These verses are ones many of us have memorized, and with good reason. They succinctly and powerfully state the incredible message of salvation. It's really simple. Salvation is by grace through faith. What more needs to be said? God's grace offers it. We receive it in faith. And lest we go off and think that we are something great because of the, uh, because of the excise, exercise sorry, of our faith, the world continues quickly to say it is not of ourselves and it is nothing we have earned. It is simply a gift to be believed and accepted. That is the incredible simplicity of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because of his great love for us, God offers us the gift of salvation by his grace. All we need to do is have faith. And once again, the truth that we have confronted over and over in Ephesians is front and center here also. It is all about God and what God did or does. The focus is on him. He is the central character. He is the one who pours out grace and saves us. I don't understand why this is really so hard for so many of us, why we can't just accept the gift. Maybe it's part of the devil's plan to try to convince us that we have to earn it. We have to work for God's love and approval rather than simply accepting his gift by faith. Do you struggle with that? I do. Do you find your service to God becoming an attempt to earn his love and acceptance? In essence, trying to earn your salvation? If so, meditate this week on this verse. Memorize it. Write it on your fridge. Make it your screensaver. Whatever. But seek to immerse yourself in the truth that it is by grace, through faith, that we are saved. All too often we memorize verses 8 and 9 and leave out verse 10. But then we only get the first part of the thought and miss the rest of what Paul is saying. Verse 10 says, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. The first thing to notice is that we are God's handiwork. The idea here is one of pride in something you have made. You know that feeling? Creating something, doing it very well, and stepping back to admire the beauty of what you've created. Maybe it's a piece of uh, work, a furniture or woodwork, or maybe a quilt or a piece of clothing. Maybe it's some food that you've created. Maybe it's an essay that you've written. Whatever it is, the idea is that of craftsmanship. And it is what you and I are, the craftsmanship of God, his masterpiece. Everything is created for a purpose. Maybe it's simply to beautify a room. And Paul moves on to describe the purpose for which we are created to do good works. There is a wonderful balance here, almost a tension between verse nine and 10. 
And it is why we need to memorize verse 10 along with 9, 8. The topic of Christian works could occupy a series of sermons, but what is essential for us to know is included in these two verses. Works don't save us. They don't make us any more holy or more spiritual or more important to God. But works flow naturally out of who we are and who we have been made to be by the craftsmanship of God. We are not saved by works, but for works. So they are important. They are critical. But they do not earn us salvation or more of God's love. Our works flow out of who we are and who we have been created to be. They are a result of salvation, not a cause of salvation. It is crucial that we grasp this differentiation because it is extremely important for us to be motivated to do good works because of who we are as saved children of God and not out of some frantic sense of trying to work our way into heaven. I admit we might get more good works done that way, but I wouldn't trade the freedom and joy that comes from doing things that flow freely from who we are for any frantic, even unattainable attempt to earn my way into heaven. The last line is incredibly reassuring. God has prepared all of these good works in advance. I don't have to create them. I don't have to go looking for them or rely on my own strength. God has them all prepared. He has the opportunities all laid out in front of us. The appointments are scheduled. He prepares these opportunities in advance for us to live out the purpose for which we are created. As we end this morning, the question I need to ask is whether your spiritual life is the before picture or the after picture. If it is before, I want, you to, I want to challenge you to read these verses, particularly 8 through 10, every day this week. If you don't have a Bible, just ask someone. We have one um, we've been holding on to just for you. Highlight these words and read them every day. My prayer is that God's Holy Spirit will reveal to you what they mean in a very real way. The second question is whether you know this grace that brings salvation. And when I say no, I mean in your heart as well as in your head. There's a song by Larry Norman called Waves of Grace. It's a beautiful song. And the chorus says, Now I see the walls I've built are falling and your waves are, of grace are washing over me. That is a good picture of God's grace, washing over us like waves, cleansing us, my prayer is that you would know this grace. And finally, anticipate the good works which God has prepared for you this week. Take your focus off yourself and look around to see what opportunities God has for you to show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you that you did not leave us dead in our sins, but you have raised us up with Christ. You've seated us at your right hand, and you've blessed us with so many good things 
We thank you that we don't have to rely on ourselves. Simply trust you and walk in the way that you have set for us. You are with us each step of the way, and you will give us whatever skills and things that we need to accomplish the things that you have set for us to do. So go with us this week as we leave and work in your spirit to help others see the incomparable riches that you have expressed. Help us to show Jesus to them and you to them. Let us be May, may only be the only Jesus that people ever see. So help us to represent you faithfully. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, that brings us to the end. You have been saved by God's amazing grace. Go now and see the ways God has prepared for you to show the incomparable riches of his grace this week. Amen.